you've been around here for any length of time, you know I love Easter. Uh, man, I'm just telling you, it is uh, such a time that we get to come together. Um, you all look wonderful this morning. I like Easter. Everybody dresses up, and spring has sprung, and you know, sometimes it hasn't. Sometimes on Easter, we have snow here, but uh, this year, spring has sprung. Things are coming up. I just drove in. All the flowers over there are blooming this morning, and it's wonderful. And when we see the flowers blooming, the trees blooming, it should just really let us understand that, you know, something's going on. Something's going on in the earth. Things are springing forth a New. And that's really what Easter is about, things springing forth brand new. That Jesus came alive from the dead to bring a newness of life. And we celebrate that and we understand that and we come into that place. And I just love Easter and the, what Easter means to us and that the power of the cross and, and the power of the resurrection that really defines and makes a definitive line between religion and Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings that definition and that realization that brings us to a, a defined definition that Christianity is not just a religion. And we say this a lot, but Christianity is a relationship with God. And this is the reason because religion is humans trying to work their way to God through good works. That's what religion is. Human beings trying to make it happen themselves, get away to God through good works. But Christianity... On the other hand, is God coming to men and women through Jesus Christ, offering them a relationship with himself? Come on, in Easter, the definition was, listen, I'm going to split it. Religion is you trying to get to me. But through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I came to you to have a relationship. Because you could never get to me by your good works. Sin had separated us. The only way for me to get to you was to pay the price. Because Jesus, God himself in creation, designed from the very beginning that the wages of sin was death, separation from God, eternal separation. Something called sin would immediately put something between us and God that could only be reconciled through death. And Jesus said, you cannot pay that price of death, but I will come. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so Jesus came as the Lamb of God, spotless, to shed his blood to reconcile us. That we no longer work to this place of our own effort to try to attain something, some merit with God. But Jesus came and broke down the wall of partition between us that we might enter into relationship. And the depth of relationship is sons and daughters of God. And it really even goes deeper than that because his spirit comes to dwell in us and he's in us and we're in him. It's a total transformation of life that we're living from. And it's awesome. And he did this by really breaking the treadmill that we get in on of works. That endless treadmill of trying to make it, trying to merit that something. It's just a treadmill. You ever run on a treadmill? I mean, in the wintertime, you have to do that sometimes. But for me personally, it's just frustrating. I mean, it's one thing to look and, you know, you get done, you're like, I ran five miles. I ran five miles and I did not go anywhere. You know, you just get off, you're still at home. And it doesn't matter if they put a screen out there in front of you and you think, you know, you're running through the woods. You're still not running through the woods. You're running nowhere. 
And that's what religion does. His religion, we're just doing it over and over and over, yet we feel like we're not getting anywhere. But Jesus broke the treadmill of life that you're not getting anywhere, and Jesus put us on a road of righteousness, of relationship with him, that day to day we walk with him into the future and the hope that he planned for us. Come on, you can go every day and feel like you're not getting anywhere, but the moment you realize what Jesus Christ did for you and you step into relationship with God, every day you're not not getting anywhere, but you're walking with him into a glorious future of eternal life that he's planned for us. And it's amazing what he did for us. It's just simply amazing. And so, so much happened in this holy weekend that we celebrate It's incredible, and we go, you know, generally, uh, we look at Good Friday, and Good Friday's the impact, and we talk about it on Sunday, and we're going to do that, but Jesus really took us off of that treadmill in an extraordinary way by, first of all, paying for our sin, paying for our sin. I want to read to you out of Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read the whole thing. So if it takes me too long, then we'll just end and have communion. But I was just going to share a piece that you always know, and I began to read it out of the message translation of the Bible, and I thought, you know what? This encompasses everything that we're, we're looking at, everything that we're going to talk about this morning. And so Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, and I've asked them to put this picture up here just so you can begin to look at the cross and understand really how gruesome the cross looks, but the end of what God had in mind. Isaiah 53, reading from the Message Bible, it says, who believes what we've heard and what we've seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. In other words, Jesus grew up like any other boy in Nazareth, in Galilee. He just grew up. There was nothing really super attractive about him, nothing that drew everybody's attention to him. He just grew up. Everybody thought he's just another little boy, but God had a plan for him. He was looked down on, passed over. When he became a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand, one looked at him and people turned away. We looked down on him and thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried. Our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought, he bought, he, we, thought we brought it on himself. That God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him. That ripped and tore and crushed him. It was our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sin, everything we've done wrong, on him. He was beaten. He was tortured, but he did not say a word. Like a lamb taken 
to be slaughtered, and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was led off. Did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a excuse me, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he had never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad that he did it. Come on, I like that. Talks about Hebrews 12 to us, how Jesus despised the cross and the shame for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy that was set before him? The resurrection. Seeing you and I forgiven of our sin and the death that came with sin and the power of sin broken and the newness of life that we enter into through the resurrection. He says, he lowly esteemed that he came on the cross and the pressure of the cross so intense, as Alan said, that he sweat as it were drops of blood. So intense, but he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Knowing that he would go to the gruesome cross, bear our sin, our sickness, our pain, our disease, die with it upon himself, but he would raise from the dead And in that, every human would have the opportunity to be forgiven and have life, life, and more life. Come on, life to the overflow. Not just life, not just a hope of heaven to come, but hope of a relationship with our creator, hope of overcoming sin, hope of prosperity in life. Come on, it's the cry of Easter, eternal life and resurrection life. Come on, he said he did all of that. But when he came out, he was so glad he did. Come on, he was so glad he did. Some of you are here today and you're like, I don't know if I fully want to go through this. I'm not sure. I really, really want to give up something on the other side. I don't know. It'll be kind of painful to have my life change. But listen, Jesus went to the cross for you. He went through the pain and the suffering for it. But he came out the other side and he was glad he did. Everyone's faced with that moment of saying, will I lay down my life to pick up his life? But when you decide that I'm going to lay it down and make him Lord of my life, the Bible says you'll never be ashamed. You'll be glad that you did. You might say, well, I've given my life to Jesus Christ years ago, but if you've picked up stuff along the way that you need to lay down, but it's been difficult for you to lay it down, just understand what Jesus laid down for you. But the Bible says he was so glad he did. Because what's on the other side of you laying that down is God's plan, God's purpose, God's health, his healing, his deliverance, his prosperity, all setting course for you. And for me. Says through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones. 
as he himself carries the burden of their sins. He who knew no sin became sin for you and I, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. When Isaiah is writing this hundreds and hundreds of years before what Jesus actually did, we're looking back and looking and seeing what he did. They were living to the cross, seeing this happen by prophetic utterance. The disciples seeing it happen before their eyes, but we're looking back to what Jesus Christ did. We're looking and seeing he did exactly what they said he would do. And we get to experience it from this side of eternal life to become righteous and forgiven. Verse 12, therefore, I'll reward him extravagantly, the best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest, he took, his own, he took on his own shoulders the sin of the many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. Praise the Lord. It says right here, how did he get us off the treadmill of life, living by religion and works? He nailed it all to the cross. He did it all for us. He hung there in pain, disfigured. The Bible said that his visage was marred more than any man. He became unrecognizable as the person that he was, just as sin makes you and I unrecognizable as the person that God created us to be. The sin that Jesus bore, the beating that he took, made him unrecognizable as the person that he was. Well, come on now, hold your breath. Because he's about to go through hell, as Alan said, and come out the other side in the glory of God, looking exactly like God created him to look, alive from the dead as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So we have to understand on that first day, he bore everything on himself. The cross is so significant because that's where everything dies. That's where the old man dies. That's where your sin is put away. That's where your sin and your iniquity, your guilt and your shame is all paid for. Hallelujah. Come on. But it doesn't end at the cross. Then Jesus was put in a tomb and he descended into hell. Among the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. The Passion Translation says it like this. It says, To preach the message of the cross seems like sheer nonsense to those who are on their way to destruction, but to us who are on our way to salvation, it is the mighty power of God released in us. Come on, the message of the cross isn't just what we just said, but the message of the cross is his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension. And so we just looked at his death. In his death, he bore our sin, our sickness, our pain. He was bruised for our iniquity, for our pain and our sorrow. It always amazes me that the translators, they, they, they got all over the map. They talked about our grief. They talked about our sorrow. They talked about our, our pain, our sickness, our disease. In the translation, they're trying to figure out what word should we use? Pain, sickness, disease, sorrow, grief. 
I believe they can't find it out because he died for our sorrows. He died for our griefs. He died for our pain. He died for our sickness. And he died for our disease. He died to make us whole spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. Come on, when he said it's finished, he didn't say, well, I just got you a passport to heaven. He said, I totally transformed and changed everything that sin brought upon you. I broke the power of it. Spirit, soul, and body. When you look at that cross, you see him. But when God looks at that cross, he sees you and I. All our sin put upon him that we might be forgiven. And though he knew the price had been paid, there was work yet to be done. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 8, says, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. He says, Now this, he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. See, there's a whole process going on here that he's going through the whole process that he might be the one who fulfills everything. To get off the treadmill of religion and dead works is only through Jesus Christ to say, listen, all that works, all that people were trying to do on that treadmill and never getting fulfilled, Jesus went through the process of his death, his burial, and his resurrection that when he ascended to heaven, he might have fulfilled everything, that in his fulfillment of everything, we have the opportunity of living a fully filled life in Christ. Come on, what was he doing when he descended into that place? I love this. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus is speaking. He said, I am he who lives. I was dead. <laughs> I love that. I just use my imagination in a little bit. Jesus shows up. He said, listen, I'm the one who lives. Come on, you might have heard I was dead. You might have heard I did die. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and so be it. Come on, he's alive. Say, what are these people getting all excited about? Well, listen, Jesus talked to some woman who was washing his uh, uh, feet with her hair and oil, and they were all going like, why is this woman doing this? Why is she doing this? And Jesus said, because she realizes she's been forgiven much. And he said, somebody who realizes they've been forgiven much, love much. If you think you haven't been forgiven much, it's tough to love much. When you realize, whoo, man, I've been forgiven. You get a little noisy. Come on. And you get a little happy. You think, you know, he didn't have to forgive me too much. You can be calm, cool, and collected. But when you realize, wow, wow, he forgave me a lot. Come on, that makes you just a little bit happy. Makes you want to praise him. 
makes you want to wash his feet just a little bit, makes you want to serve him. Come on. <laughs> Come on now. It's Easter. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Praise the Lord. That's not even the best part. He says, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. But he said, and I have the keys of death in the grave. He said, I have the keys of death in the grave. What was Jesus doing when he descended into the lower parts of the earth? In Matthew chapter 12, he said, in order to defeat a strong man, you have to go into his house. <laughs> the devil thought, I got you. God, I got you. He's dead, and he's in my house. You know how we talk about that. We're like, come on. We're going to defeat you in my house. He bore that sin. Jesus went down and descended into the lower parts of the earth. I'm sure the devil said, now you're in my house. My authority, death and the grave, you've entered into. And on Easter Sunday, Jesus said right here, in your house. He said, I've come into your house to defeat you on your terms and to bind you. And I'm going to take the authority that you have over humanity and the fear that you inflict by death and hell. And I'm going to take the keys and the authority and I'm coming out of your house having won the victory. Come on. Come on. The devil might have, said, might have said, not in my house. And Jesus said, right here in your house, on your terms, I'll beat you right here. Come on. You need to know. He didn't, he didn't sidestep this. He said, I'm going to do this 100%. I'm going to put the devil down in his house where he has made you ashamed and guilty. I'm going to beat him in his house and bring shame and guilt, the very sin that bound you right in that place. I'll defeat sin in the flesh. Come on. He's victorious. Some of you are going to shout later when you get home. Come on. So he went down and he said, listen, what I was doing those three days and nights is I was binding up all the things that the enemy used to enslave your life. And I came forth with the authority of death, hell, and the grave. Colossians chapter 2.14, he begins to explain it like this. Where's my clock? Am I doing good? All right, good. We, we have to do communion as well, so... And I still have six pages. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 40, it says, Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. See, the law just kept you spinning on that treadmill. Treadmill. You're not doing good enough, and you can't possibly do it. So once a year, we've got to have the blood of bulls and goats, the blood of bulls and goats, taken into the most holy place and sprinkled on the seat. So every year, you know you're not making it, but every year you have the consolation that you're covered for another year. 
Come on, then we're not here for Easter to come back next Easter and feel better. We're here to realize one time, one time, we get to live in freedom one time. Jesus paid the price. He said that the handwriting requirement against us, uh, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Come on. I think John made reference to this. The highest form of cancel culture is when Jesus canceled sin in your life. Come on. You no longer have to give place to it. You no longer have to understand it. He took care of the sin problem. Kenneth Wiest, in his word study, explains it this way. He says, the law is against us because it comes like a taskmaster bidding us do, but neither putting the inclination into our hearts nor the power in our hands. And the law is against us because the revelation of unfulfilled duty is the accusation of the defaulter and a revelation to him of his guilt. And law is against us because it comes with threatenings and foretastes of penalty and pain. Thus, as standard accusers and avengers, it is against us. Right? The law sets that place to say, you can't do it. And the law doesn't give us any strength or power to accomplish it. So Jesus took it out of the way. He took it out of the way. It literally means took it out of the midst. Our Lord nailed it to the cross. It says the law with its decrees was abolished in Christ's death, as if crucified with him. It was no longer in the midst, in the foreground, as a debtor's obligation is perpetually before him, embarrassing his whole life. It says, listen, the law is no longer there in front of you to bring embarrassment and futility to your life. Jesus took it and nailed it to the cross. Now listen to this. Our Lord, after his death on the cross, needed to present himself at the heavenly mercy seat in his bloodless body glorified as the great high priest, thus completing the atonement, fulfilling right the type, the Old Testament type, when the high priest on the day of atonement killed the sacrifice at the brazen altar and then carried the blood into the holy of holies, sprinkling it on the mercy seat, thus completing in type the atonement for sin, in order to do this, our Lord had to pass through the kingdoms of Satan in the air. The demons offered opposition. He, stripping them off and away from himself, displayed them boldly to make an example of leading them in triumph in it. Come on, Jesus went into hell to break the authority, but then he came out in resurrection life. Defeating and stripping away and disarming, one translation says, disarming all principalities and powers, all might and dominion. That even in the air as Jesus was going to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, they believed that the demonic forces in heaven were trying to keep him down, but he continually threw them off and stripped them away and made a display that they had no more power of sin and death. 
Come on, Jesus was down there doing the work, but on that third day, the Holy Spirit went down into the depths of the earth and infused Jesus and raised him from the dead victorious. Come on, and the Bible tells us that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And he quickens and he makes alive your mortal body. He brings you to the place of freedom and liberty to fulfill everything that you were called to do. And he also, as the law did not do, he puts in your hands and in your life the power to do the things that you were called to do. We're no longer on a treadmill striving to get something done and not getting anywhere, but we now have the life of God on the inside of us, the power and the ability and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the very call and the very purpose placed on our life when we were born. Why? Because of the resurrection. The price has been paid, but not only has the price been paid, but the victory is as executed in the resurrection. When you realize that death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him, then you realize that you have no fear of death and the grave because it can't hold you and it can't keep you. And death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? See, it was an authority that we don't realize. It's a supernatural authority that the enemy governs our life because of the fear that there is an end. And we're, we're trying to strive and we're moving on a treadmill and we'll all end in death in the grave. But Jesus said, no, I've conquered death in the grave. There is eternal life, abundant life. So live life even now to the full. Empowered to do the very things that he's put in your heart to do no more just struggling like you're not getting anywhere but because of resurrection life knowing that you're getting somewhere and accomplishing things for eternity to begin to watch what god's called you to do to stretch forth his hand and watch others be affected by the anointing that's upon your life People being delivered from worry and stress, from sickness and disease, from poverty, from all that he bore on the cross that they don't know about. You and I now have that same life and that power to bring the understanding of what was paid for on the cross to reality into someone's life who does not know. Why? Because we've, been, we've gone through the cross process. We died with him. We were buried with him. Then we were raised with him. And now we're seated with him in heavenly places. Come on, he brought us up. He brought us out. And he raised from the dead. And after he raised from the dead, right there at the tomb, he's right there, and Mary looks in the tomb, and she can't find him, and all of a sudden she hears somebody she thinks is the gardener, and it's Jesus. And Jesus said, wait a minute, don't touch me. Why? Because I've not yet ascended my Father and my God and your God and your Father. And we see just a few days later, he walks through the room and he says to Thomas, go ahead and touch me. Why couldn't she touch him and he could touch? Because between that time, he ascended and he did something that settled it once and for all. The type in the shadow of the Old Testament that existed, that the priest, as we just read, went in time and time and time again. 
every year went in with the blood of bulls and goats, with the Lamb of God, and he would walk behind the veil, having put blood upon himself because he was sinful, having put blood uh, uh, in every way upon the elements to enter in to the most holy of holies, to sprinkle that blood upon the mercy seat, it symbolizing and knowing that for one year, God's mercy would triumph over judgment. But when Jesus raised from the dead, and we celebrate that, there was still work to be done. And he said, wait a minute, I'm going to come back and show you that I'm raised, but I have something very important to do, and that is to ascend to my God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 says, but Christ came, I'm just sliding around, but Christ came as a high priest of good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not that with made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more? Somebody say, how much more? more? Say it again, "How how much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. Come on. We have a new and better covenant. We're not on the treadmill of the law. We're on a road of righteousness. Walking hand in hand with our God, our Savior, our Father, fulfilling things every day in our spirit, in our life, to fulfill what he's called us to do, to serve the living God and to serve him isn't as a taskmaster, but to serve the fulfillment of life that he's put on the inside of us to fill and be fulfilled with all the life that he has for us. And then he left the earth in his ascension. And this is what he's doing today. Come on, he's alive. We don't serve a God who's dead. We don't serve a God that we made. We serve a God who made us. Isn't that good? We don't serve a God we made. We serve a God who made us and loved us so much that when he saw that we were held in trespass and sin in order to satisfy his love for us, he sent Jesus to bear our sin on the cross, to destroy the power of the enemy, to ascend and sprinkle his blood upon the mercy seat in heaven that once and for all we could understand that mercy triumphs over judgment. Though you know that you've done wrong, though you know you've made mistakes, though you know you've sinned against God and you deserve judgment, his resurrection, his death, his burial tells us forever that if I receive what he's done for me and ask for forgiveness, his mercy will triumph over judgment.
That when the accuser of the brethren comes and says, listen, I know them. They were with me. They listened to me. They sinned against you and accuses you before the Father. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are your lawyers. When the enemy says, judge, I have an accusation to prosecute. Alan. And begins to say, these are the things that I know that Alan has done. In heaven, you might not hear it, but there's an objection. Judge, we object. He looks at the Holy Spirit and he looks at Jesus. And Jesus said, I object to that lie. God says, can you further state your objection? He said, well, I want to present exhibit A, evidence Evidence of his innocence. If you'll notice right before you judge the mercy seat, right there on that mercy seat is my blood. Now I want to run a reel as an example. Here's Alan kneeling, saying, Jesus, come into my heart, be the Lord of my life. I accept that blood. He said, right there, he accepted this blood. And God says, shut up. Not guilty. Come on. (laughs) Come on, it's going on. It's going on. Hebrews chapter 7. How many of you are ready for me to be done? All right. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 7. It says, but he, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever. Somebody say forever. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Come on, he went behind the veil as the ultimate high priest and sprinkled his blood, and that's never changed. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. There is no place in your life that the blood of Jesus cannot reach. There is nothing in your life that the blood of Jesus cannot cleanse. He is able to save to the uttermost. Why? Because he is alive forever, and his priesthood is unchangeable. Listen, this is why. Since he always, everybody says always, lives to make intercession for them. Listen, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, right at that place of the mercy seat. And he grabs a hold of everything that God has for you. And he grabs a hold of you. And he pulls those together and reconciles everything of God and everything in you. He ever lives to stand in the gap, to take up the hedge, 
No matter what you've done, no matter what's happened, no matter where you are, he's pulling to pull you together with everything that God has done for you, everything that the blood has done. He's ever living to intercede, to stand in the gap, to take a hold together with against the strategy of the enemy and reconcile you into relationship with God for eternal life. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. We have just in a few minutes put in a nutshell, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're watching, I just want to ask you this Easter, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you might have come here because somebody just said, come on, it's Easter. But you don't know what Jesus did for you. You've never made him the Lord of your life. You might have been to church before. But today you realize I need Jesus as my Lord, that he did all that on my behalf, and he did that all for me so that I could have fellowship with him, that I could be saved, that I could have eternal life. If you're here this morning or if you're watching online and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, today is the day. It'll be the greatest Easter that you ever had to experience truly the resurrection of life in your heart, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, to come to that point where no matter what the accusation, no matter what you're feeling, when the guilt comes, you did this, you did that, how could God ever bless you, that you recognize and realize Jesus is in heaven right now saying, God, I have evidence that they should be acquitted by my blood. And you've struggled with that guilt and that shame, but today you've realized you can come to Jesus and be forgiven. If that's you, just pray this prayer with us. If you're Online and you're watching, let's just pray this prayer together. Say, Father God, I come to you this morning in Jesus' name. And I declare before you, I'm done doing life my way. And Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I believe that God raised you from the dead so that I could be made righteous. So forgive me of my sin. Be the Lord of my life. I declare it now. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer for the first time. Jesus, by his word, he said he came into your heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, any man that be in Christ, if you accepted that, says he came into your heart, you're in him, he's in you. And any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new, and now everything is of God who has reconciled you to himself, forgiven your sin. He's made you a son and a daughter of his. We welcome you to the family. When the service is over, there will be a couple of people up here love to give you a gift of just a couple of books that will help you on your journey in living for God and, and, and just understand that this newness of life, you get to walk out every single day. You don't have to treadmill it. You can begin walking and making progress. If you're watching online, you can go on to our app, our welcome app, 
uh, you can go on uh, to uh, our app, and uh, there's a place that says share your story. Let us know that you accepted Jesus Christ for the very first time. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, uh, I hope that you all, is there anybody here? Ushers, be ready. If there's anybody here that you didn't receive communion elements on the way in, raise your hand so we make sure that you can uh, get those communion elements. And the Bible says as we prepare to take communion,